Welcome to Head & Neck Innovations, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals exploring the latest innovations, discoveries, and surgical advances in otolaryngology head and neck surgery. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Head & Neck Innovations. I'm your host, Paul Bryson, director of the Cleveland Clinic Voice Center and our Head & Neck Institute. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul C. Bryson, and you can get the latest updates from our institute by following at CLE Clinic H&I. That's CLE Clinic H&I. I'm joined today by Dr. Robert Lorenz, my colleague in Cleveland Clinic's Head and Neck Institute, to continue our discussion on the history and evolution of subglottic stenosis treatment. If you haven't listened to our previous episode, be sure to give it a listen. And today we're going to dive further into the Mattern Procedure. Let's dive into the Mattern Procedure. What, what are your indications? How's it evolved in your hands? And you know, what are the lessons learned and, and future sort of thoughts on the procedure now that you've got several under your belt? Yeah, we're, we're over 30 and the publication has been conditionally accepted to the laryngoscope. It was presented at the American Laryngologic Association in Dallas in 2022. So it's now in the public sphere. And I do want to go back to the actual procedure so that those who are not familiar with it just know that we talked about an, a resection so you remove all the scar tissue. You know, very importantly, you don't do that with a laser. What happens is if you use a laser to do a complete resection, you end up um, not having vascularized bed of tissue that you resect down to. So while the laser may be used in kind of a radial cut to, dis- to determine the depth of the scar tissue, the actual resection itself is done with a soft tissue shaver. And, you know, for those of you laryngology surgeons out there thinking about a soft tissue shaver, that's, you know, it's a little bit scary. You know, there is a learning curve to this, and that's really what the, my manuscript was about, was about the first 28 patients who underwent the procedure and kind of how you learn to, you know, pace the operation, determine the depth of, of scar tissue, resect safely with the soft tissue in the airway, and then measure the area that needs to be resurfaced with the graft. And then lastly, this was the important part I was trying to get to, is you just can't suture a graft into the subglottis. You have to have it fixed in place with something. So therefore, what we end up using is a T-tube. We, of course, don't use the whole T-tube because these patients are not specifically tracheotomized for this. You just cut one of the limbs of the T-tube, usually about 12 millimeters in diameter, usually only about two centimeters long. And we do use a Dremel drill to soften the edge because that's going to be in place for two weeks. And what happens is you wrap the graft around that stent and place the stent with the graft in position. And then you fix that with a stitch through the entire cricoid. Again, this is Dr. Sandu's technique that I, that I uh, learned. And you actually fix that with that suture. I use two just for safety purposes. And then uh, wake the patient up and breathing transorally for those two weeks. And uh, after two weeks, you uh, take the patient back to the operating room, remove that stent, and leave the entire relined mucosa or epithelium of the subglottis. And that's scary, right? It's scary to live with a stent in your airway, breathe in transorally for two weeks. And to go back to your question, that's why it's not used as the primary, you know, first-line therapy. Some people, you know, they read good things about it, or they have some patients have very good results, and they come and they say, I want a matter procedure. But the challenge is you really need to, to first start with less invasive therapies. And they include things like we talked about, which is dilations or steroid injections 
or we can talk about the Mayo protocol, which uses a little bit more of an aggressive dilation with the, the CO2 laser resections in those quadrants, followed by triple medication therapy, including an inhaled steroid, a aggressive proton pump inhibitor and, and anti-reflux medication, and lastly, Batrim, once in a Batrim, probably more for the anti-inflammatory effects than for the antimicrobial effects. That's the, what we determine, we call the Mayo protocol. So serial steroid injections, dilations, Mayo protocol, then patients come and they say, doc, unfortunately, it's been you know, a dozen, it's been 15, it's been 20 dilations or procedures, and I just am not getting over the hump. This is coming back usually less than every 12 months. I'm not close to my medical professionals, so it's a very scary situation. We did have a several patients who were completely stenosed off, completely stenosed from their disease, who underwent matter and procedure, for example. So those are really the indications, uncontrolled stenosis after previous, you know, kind of uh, regimens of traditional therapy. And then, as I mentioned, we published on the, the 28 patients. Now, those 28 do, do include two patients who had what I referred to at the time, I want to make sure I get this out there, the reacher procedure. Those are the first two patients. I mistakenly thought that you had to approach the subglottis from below, from the tracheal side. And I referred to that as the reacher procedure for retrograde resection of the cricoid epithelium. As it turned out, I then, you know, I had a, uh, some learnings from Dr. Sandu where he said, you know what, you can do this all trans orally, all through the mouth. You do not have to go from below. So it was the first two patients reacher, 26 subsequent patients, all trans orally. And now I exclusively do this trans orally. Now, some patients you'll actually do some kind of reconstruction. Let's say they have tracheal stenosis or they, they need a T-tube stent placed in there with a tracheotomy. That's, that's not the Mattern procedure. But for those patients, you're essentially doing the same kind of relining. You're doing it through a laryngofissure, et cetera. Again, not the Mattern procedure, much more invasive disease, but, but that's the concept here. One of the big learnings of our study in manuscript, Paul, was that I had initially thought that patients with what I'll determine as low disease, that's disease at the bottom of the cricoid close to the trachea, would be the best candidates. I assumed that they would be able to tolerate the stent in place. And, you know, that's why you do a study. You, you try to figure these things out. As it turned out, the trachea is not a great place to attempt a matter and procedure. The reason being is the surgeon is going to be quite conservative on the resection once you get out of the cricoid, for good reason, right? Behind the trachealis posteriorly lies the esophagus. And with a soft tissue shaver, you know, you know, working far away, you do run the risk of going through the trachealis. And so in general, the patients who did not do well, and that was about a, a quarter of the patients with the, with the matter procedure, didn't end up having long-term airway patency. Those were patients who had low disease. Now, the good news is that they did actually respond to a very high resection, usually one or two rings of the trachea, and then a primary anastomosis. The surprise here was that patients with quite high disease did tolerate the stent in the graft very well. And so it's really become my go-to procedure for patients with high subglottic stenosis. Now, I'm not talking about glottic stenosis or interarytenoid. I'm talking about disease about 5 to 10 millimeters below the true vocal fold level. I don't have too much of my armamentarium for those patients 
other than a laryngeal split, which is just a huge, you know, huge undertaking. And this procedure, as it turned out, works quite well for those patients with high subglottic disease within five to 10 millimeters of the vocal fold. So it's really my go-to procedure there. For patients with lower disease, I start to think about some kind of tracheal procedure. No, I appreciate that. I know there uh, can be a fair amount of nuance. Trying to, uh, you know, almost customize the approach uh, is important. Are you able to talk a little bit about your graft choices in this, like uh, the approach from skin graft to buccal graft? Yeah, that's that's another learning. And I do believe that I'm actually the only person doing the buccal graft. Now, why is that? So the way that Guri had initially described it was to use a, a split thickness skin graft. Uh, usually I used it from the, from the thigh, for example. And that's indeed the half of the first half of the cohort of patients that I wrote about were, was using a epithelial graft from the thigh. The benefit is it's much easier to work with, right? It's relatively thin, usually about 13 one thousandths of an inch thick. It's very th- kind of firm to work with around the stent and very straightforward. The challenge is, is that once that lining is vascularized and is, is alive in the subglottis, it produces keratin. And that keratin can drive these patients crazy because what happens is as opposed to, you know, the, the keratin on the outside of our body, you take a shower or it sloughs off and th- that kind of thing in the airway, it just collects in the airway. And the patients describe kind of a, almost like a, a peanut butter type of accumulation of the keratin. Now they can manage that through things like a humidifier, those kind of things. Dr. Santu's methodology is to then take the patients back after Mattern procedure and use a CO2 laser to literally laser out those keratin-producing cells. So you kind of get a smooth appearance to that part. Now, if you do that in, in a circumferential 360-degree way, you'll, you'll run the risk of actually getting the patients restenotic. So his technique was to do it in two parts, to do it as, let's say, a, a, a vertical strip of, of CO2 laser ablation of those keratin-producing cells and then allowing a bridge or a gap where you don't have a circumferential scar, and then taking the patient back maybe a month or or six weeks later to then get the intervening keratinocytes to destroy them. And in that way, you don't create a circumferential scar, you get rid of the keratin-producing cells, and you get rid of this this accumulation of keratin. But that's, that's four procedures, right? That's the ablation part of the Mattern, the reconstruction part of the Mattern, a laser procedure, and then another laser procedure. And again, we talked about these patients coming from far away and traveling. They, they, it's just, we, we, we pride ourselves in not saying, we'll come back next month and we'll do it again. It's challenging for some of these patients. So therefore, the second half of the patient population was being used as the buckle graft. The benefit of the buckle is no keratin-producing cells. And, you know, it can be placed just like a split-thickness skin graft can. The downside is that it's much more challenging to work with the buckle. It's, it's kind of like a soft, spongy type of material. It can, um, it kind of, once you place it there under tension, it kind of squishes from out of the stent. But that being said, after, you know, I've worked through that learning process and then trim the graft material after you place the stent, you can then not have excess of grafting material down there. So that's kind of my go-to procedure now. Again, avoiding the need for subsequent CO2 laser resection in the future. Now, where are we going with all this? Well, probably somewhere with a different material. Number one, you've got the harvest site 
in the buccal cavity. I find that patients tolerate this very well. Like when I see these patients a year or two later, it's almost as if they did not have a harvest of their almost entire buccal mucosa. It's amazing how well they heal. It's almost as if the inside of the cheek is kind of made for, you know, biting your lip and, and kind of that trauma. I do have patients kind of start to, you know, do antitrismus exercises after about a month. I do have them kind of blow out their cheek to kind of expand the mucosa, but it tolerates it extremely well. But where we're really probably going is somewhere like a dermal graft, maybe, for example, to shave off the superficial layer of skin and then go after the next layer down of dermis, thereby avoiding the keratinocytes and at the same time using a graft site, harvest site, like the thigh, for example. That's probably where they're going. And then lastly, possibility of using something like umbilical cord or some kind of pluripotential cell that is able to, uh, you know, kind of maybe even take up the respiratory lining of the, of the subglottis. Wouldn't that be great, right, to create those, those cilia cells so that patients aren't plagued by mucus collection below the actual area of stenosis? That would be fantastic. A little bit challenging to get that off the ground, right, because you'd need to use that knowing that those, those pluripotential cells may try to heal the subglottis, right? When you heal subglottis, you might heal it closed. So that'll be a step that's going to need some kind of animal model prior to moving forward with. But I think the dermal, the dermal graph might be the next step. Well, Rob, I really appreciate your time today. And, and I can tell you, I've, I've appreciated uh, working alongside you uh, during my 12 years here. I, I continue to learn a lot and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the collaboration. And I'm proud to be a part of the team, as you had mentioned, with all the work that you've been doing, you know, we really try to take a, a patient's first attitude. We've tried to be thoughtful about it. We've tried to make the experience good for these patients who are coming with difficult problems. And I look forward to the future with you and uh, continuing to take care of these airway stenosis patients. And I, I commend you on your open-mindedness and innovation in this area. It's uh, been great to be a part of and uh, great to learn from you. Yeah, it's fun, right? Because we all come at this, you come at it with different training than I do, different experiences. We've got a group, you know, that can see these patients and we actually have a conference. Dr. Nelson has started up this conference where we talk about really challenging disease along with interventional pulmonology, thoracic surgery, otolaryngology, speech pathology, et cetera. And we all kind of come at this with a different lens. And so now that we've got, the, you know, this, this volume um, we can kind of say, you know what, I, I think we might be better managed uh, open, might be managed by interventional pulmonology, et cetera, might be managed better medically, et cetera. That's really exciting to have that kind of group of comrades who are kind of talking about the best way to manage patients and the patients are the beneficiary of it. One last plug I'll put in, you know, this Mattern procedure is new. I've had a number of people come and visit. It does take some, you know, finagling and, and instrumentation to kind of get to know you know, the, the most efficient way to do it and the safest way to do it. And we're always more than welcome to have people come and visit and watch a procedure or two. And so they kind of learn the nuances of it. So I just welcome anybody to get a hold of us and be happy to have them here in Cleveland, Ohio. For more information on subglottic stenosis treatment at Cleveland Clinic, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash subglottic stenosis. That's clevelandclinic.org slash subglottic stenosis. And to speak with a specialist or submit a referral to our Head and Neck Institute, please call 216-444-8500. That's 216-444-8500. Dr. Lorenz, thanks for joining Head and Neck Innovations. Thanks for listening to Head and Neck Innovations. 
You can find additional podcast episodes on our website at clevelandclinic.org slash podcasts. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic Head and Neck Institute experts on our ConsultQD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash head and neck. Thank you for listening and join us again next time. Thank you.